0: Good morning. Thank you. If you were to enlarge any animal and ride it into battle, what would it be and why? If you've been around me long enough, you've probably heard me ask this question. And people assume that it's just a good icebreaker, which it is. But I wonder if it could be deeper than that. I wonder if a person's animal that they choose or share has the potential to reveal the strategies, behaviors, or ways a person deals with the difficult or uncomfortable feelings, thoughts, or events in their life. In psychology, these are called defense mechanisms. For example, if you answer dolphin, because of their playful personality, you don't really like to ride into battle, you just want to play. Maybe it reveals the way you protect yourself from the world is through play or escapist behaviors. Or if you answer goldfish, which I don't know why you would ride a goldfish into battle, but that's beside the point. Because of their short memory and attention span... Maybe it reveals the way you protect yourself from the world is through denial, avoiding, forgetting. Personally, the animal that I choose every time is called a bearded sake. And I'm not sure the exact defense mechanisms, but I choose it because it kind of looks like me. I mean, it's a monkey with a beard, it's awesome. I'm sure that says something about me. Psychology professors tell me later the ego that I have or something. How do you protect yourself from the world? Here's another way of asking the question What behaviors, patterns, or rhythms do you partake in to cover up or hide the deepest parts of yourself? Your deepest fears, your deepest shame. Your deepest wounds, struggles, or sins? How do you hide those things? And who do you trust with the deepest parts of yourself? Whose voice do you listen to? The voice of a stranger, the devil who spews lies? Or the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus, who speaks grace? ...and truth. This morning I hope we can, as a community... ...come to a deeper trust in Jesus and His voice. That we can trust Him with the deepest and most hidden parts of ourselves. And to do that, I want to look at one of Jesus' disciples... ...Peter. I wonder what animal Peter would enlarge and ride into battle... I wonder who Peter trusted and how he protected himself from the world. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 21. It will be on the screen as well. And I'm going to read for us the first three verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin... Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. The scripture begins and it says, after this. Here's what took place right before this scene. Jesus had rose from the dead... Mary Magdalene was the first one to see him, and she then went and told the other disciples. Jesus then appeared to them in a locked room, but Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus, in his grace, appeared to Thomas and allowed Thomas to touch his wounds. Thomas believed. Can you imagine the joy, the confusion, the roller coaster of emotions? the disciples felt, Jesus died. The person that they had followed for three years was gone. And they scattered in fear, confusion, and doubt. But now their rabbi is alive. And this is all too much for Peter to handle. So he goes fishing. Has something ever been too much for you? And you just couldn't deal with it. You just had to get away, to get your mind off of it, to go to something familiar to ease your mind or forget about it altogether. This was Peter, who in the last three years, this is what took place in the last three years. One, in Matthew 16, Peter was the first one to call Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he did that, Jesus gave Peter his very own beatitude. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And then Peter was called the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on. But it was also Peter who never really believed Jesus was going to die in the first place. Again, this is in Matthew 16. You know the story. Jesus began to foretell his death, that he would be killed And Peter couldn't handle the news. So scripture tells us that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus. And here's how Jesus responded to him. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. So in the same chapter in scripture, Peter was blessed by Jesus one minute and given hell by Jesus the next. Peter also zealously proclaimed to Jesus that he, he said, I will lay down my life for you. Only to hear Jesus respond with the toughest words Peter may have ever heard Listen, listen, Jesus said. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And that's what happened. Peter, sitting outside the high priest's courtyard, was warming himself by a fire. While inside, the illegal interrogation of Jesus was taking place. And a servant girl notices Peter. Are you one of the man's disciples? No, I'm not. Peter responds. Others recognize Peter. Did you follow this man? I didn't. Peter says... And finally, another servant, and this one's crazy. The, 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 the person who notices Peter was actually a family member of the guy whose ear Peter had just cut off. Awkward. And that's another story about Peter. When Jesus was getting arrested in the garden in Gethsemane, Peter couldn't handle it. He was so out of control that he tried to take control by cutting off the ear of a guy named Malchus. And just a few hours later, a family member, we'll call it a cousin, identifies Peter and asks, Weren't you in the garden with that man? And Peter, for a third time, denied it. At once, the rooster crowed, Scripture tells us. And it's all of this that I imagine is running through Peter's head at this time. As Jesus arose and appeared to him. It's the joy that he's alive. It's the without a doubt belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's with that same vigor of belief and joy that Peter also hates himself. Is ashamed of himself. Regrets denying Jesus and his questioning whether or not he will ever be accepted by Jesus again. So Peter goes fishing. To run away from it all. To do something he can control. It's the pattern Peter has always had when the deepest fear, shame or struggle bubble up in Peter's life, he can't handle it and he finds a way to hide it by rebuking Jesus, cutting off an ear and now going fishing. How do you protect yourself from the world? How do you hide the deepest parts of yourself? The early church fathers gave us a paradigm to think about the ways we protect ourselves from the world called the passions. These later became known uh, as the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and sloth. In these passions, these behaviors might begin to show themselves in things like the desire to gossip or be judgmental, the desire to control or manipulate, the desire for perfectionism, the need for constant approval or to people please, the distrust of others or the mistrust of yourself, the fear of silence or rest itself. Compulsive busyness, patterns of irritation, agitation, or rage, cravings or addictions of any kind. Can you find yourself in one of those behaviors or patterns? Is there a way that you hide, avoid, or ignore your deep wounds, struggles, or sins? Your fear, shame, regret, or doubt. Peter protected himself from the world by going fishing. Listen to what takes place next. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The disciples notice that it's Jesus on the shore, and as usual, Peter responds with passion. And he's the first in the water, and he swims to shore. He's the first one there. And I'm sure it's part excitement to see Jesus, but maybe it's even a stronger part fear and shame. Was this another way Peter was trying to protect himself? To get there before the other disciples and talk to Jesus? Jesus, are we good? Can you not bring it up when they get to shore? I haven't really told them what's going on yet. Can we act normal, please? listen to verse 9. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Peter gets to shore, hoping to have a conversation with Jesus, but he stopped in his tracks by the smell of a charcoal fire. And the memories and feelings and events of the past come bubbling up again. Do you know the last time that Peter was around a charcoal fire? It was when he was warming himself when Jesus was being interrogated he was by a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus and we all know the power of smell every time I get a whiff of manure in Sioux Center I am brought back to driving to Dort my freshman year when I it was awful now it's just normal which is concerning too For you, maybe it's the smell of a home-cooked meal that brings you right back to the table with your family. Or a perfume that reminds you of your grandma. Neuroscientists tell us that the place in the brain that processes smell is the same place that processes emotions and memories. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew Peter. Remember John 10? I know my sheep. And Jesus knew that Peter would be the first one to the shore. And Jesus prepared a charcoal fire intentionally. Why? Well, Jesus wanted to bring up the deepest pain and greatest regret of Peter's life. Jesus wanted Peter to stop ignoring his pain because Jesus wanted to meet Peter in his pain and heal it. Endure. Jesus wants to meet you in your pain too. Because our God, Jesus, is not a God who ignores pain. He's not a God that goes around shame or around fear or over regret. He's not a God who's waiting on the other side of your sin. He is a God who is entering into your sin, into the biggest messes you've made, into the most hidden parts of your life. Because he wants to know your wounds. He wants to break down the ways that you protect yourself from the world. He wants to know the sins that you struggle with and the fear and shame that you have. Jesus wants to bring it all up. Jesus wants to bring you out of hiding. Because Jesus knows that naming, that opening your wounds, pains, or unhealthy patterns will not be the crushing experience you fear that it will be. It will be the path to healing that you desperately long for. And maybe you're thinking, well, okay, that's a great line, Sam. I want it to be true. I really do. I long for that in my life. But I am not sure how letting my defenses fall and revealing the most hidden parts of myself is the way to healing. It's a good thought. It's a good question. Let me show you how Jesus speaks into the deepest part of Peter. And just on a side note. Isn't it interesting that Jesus hasn't said a word to Peter yet? A charcoal fire has been doing all the communicating. And not to get too far ahead to the coming weeks, but maybe God's silence in your life is purposeful to bring up the deepest parts of yourself so that healing can take place. Let's see how Jesus speaks into those deep, hidden parts of Peter. Verse 12 Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. There is so much grace in this invitation. Because there were clear issues between Peter and Jesus that they needed to work out. But first, breakfast. And this is the opposite of the cultural moment that we live in. Because if someone says something Uh, tweet something or whatever it's called now, I don't even know, X something. If they do that or do something that they shouldn't have, instantly people call for an apology, demand a reason why, and mandate an action to make it right. And listen, I am all for apologizing. I am all for repenting. I am all for making a wrong right. But Jesus starts in a different place. He eats breakfast with Peter. Verse 15 tells us that he lets Peter finish breakfast before addressing the denial. Over the summer, I read a parenting book titled No Drama Discipline. And the primary principle in the book is that parents need to connect, then redirect. Before telling your child what they did wrong, what they should have done different, and the way to make it right, a parent needs to connect with their child. Get on their level and make sure the child knows that they are loved and cared for no matter what they just did. And the truth is, this is not just a parenting principle, it's a human principle, it's a Jesus principle. He does it with Peter, and he does it with you and me. Because I imagine when you make a mistake, when a wound or hurt comes up, when you experienced fear, shame, or regret, do you feel the pressure that you have to make it right instantly? To fix it? To get rid of it? And then if you can't do any of that, you just simply pretend it's not there. Hide it. Fix it. Ignore it. Avoid it. Cover it up. Do you hide the deepest parts of yourself because you think it's beyond healing? Because you think you're beyond healing. And it's all too much for you to handle or fix on your own. Here's what I want you to know. You don't have to fix yourself. And it's not all on you. And Jesus, he does not start with fixing you. He starts with loving you. His voice doesn't condemn you. His voice confirms you as son, as daughter. His voice doesn't first correct you. His voice first connects with you. To assure you that you are deeply cared for and unconditionally loved. No matter what letting your defenses fall, and bringing the deepest parts of yourself out into the open is where healing starts. It's where Jesus begins to speak love, grace, and care into the most hidden parts of yourself. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. At this point in the story, Jesus has brought up the deepest pain and regret of Peter's life. Jesus connected with Peter. And now, only after connection, Jesus redirects Peter to the truth, to himself. Let me summarize the conversation. Jesus takes Peter aside and asks Peter three different times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Mirroring the three times that Peter denied Jesus. And each time, Peter responds, Yes, yes, yes. Then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me, Jesus says. And it would be so easy for Jesus to take away responsibility from Peter, to not trust Peter, to find someone who is steadier and more faithful than Peter. But Jesus doesn't take away responsibility from Peter. He gives him more of it. Jesus invites Peter to be a shepherd. Jesus invites Peter into the very work that Jesus himself does. Last week, I went to the commons with my family. My kids love the commons, favorite restaurant in town. And my oldest son, Zion, loves to take his plate and cup after he's done eating, the little conveyor belt, and like watch it go through. Here's the problem with that. Every time it happens, this is what ends up happening. The c- juice that was in his cup ends up on his shirt. The piece of pizza that he didn't finish is on the ground. The ketchup that he tried to scrape in the trash cans on the side of the trash can. And there is food somewhere on me. And I hate getting food on me. Like I am angry thinking about it. Like I'm sinning. Like it, I, it's just, it's terrible. It is the worst. It would be so much easier if I would just do it for him. Get the plate, put it on the belt, done. Easy. You know what, though? I let him keep doing it. I don't get upset or take away responsibility when a mess is made. I say, it's okay, buddy. I'll help you with that. I'll do it with you this time, and the next time you get to try again. I keep encouraging him. I keep inviting him into the work, and that is what Jesus does to you. No matter how big a mess you made or how big a mess you feel, Jesus' voice does not relegate you to busy work. Jesus' voice redirects you to his work. Jesus' voice doesn't revile you to this second-tier Christian living, but he releases you to bring heaven to earth. Jesus' voice does not insist on isolation, but invites you to follow him and to join in on the communal work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when defenses fall, and you let Jesus speak into those deep and hidden parts of yourself, he loves them. He loves you. He doesn't stop there, though. He redirects you to himself, to the way, the truth, and the life, to his way and his work. So can I just say for those in here who are feeling disqualified for a mess they've made in the past for something, a mistake they've made in the past, and you're wondering if you should join that Bible study or pray for that person or encourage them or go to Monday night worship or join in on chapel or raise your hands because you're afraid, what will people think of me? Can I tell you that you were released to do it? to do his work, to partake in kingdom work, to bring heaven to earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's when we take our eyes off of our shame and lift them to our Savior where freedom can really begin to take root in our life and in our world. Dort, you can trust your shepherd. You can trust Jesus. Jesus. The same way he handled Peter's hidden parts of himself is the same way that he handles yours. With connection, kindness, grace, and care. With redirection, invitation, and truth. Open the most hidden parts of yourself to him. Let his voice heal you and transform you. And it will not be the crushing experience you are afraid that it will be. But it will be the healing experience that you desperately long for.